in a world in the year 2017 in a time of tradition in a city where anything can happen in a war that isn't his every day in new york city on the miami police force in the deep south yes <laughs> beautiful <laughs> All right, so now we're we're, we're ready. <laughs> We've needed that we're for two years. <laughs> Wait, Eric, what are you doing Saturday, Eric? Uh, Coming up with a lie right now. Everybody, and welcome back to the video store. It is I, Justin, here with another episode of Late Fees. I'm here with Dom, Pat, and Eric. All of us here once again joined together in like a daisy chain. All of our hands linked together. What's going on, it's a guys? Daisy chain. I don't even know what a daisy chain is. I'm too it's old for link. you. <laughs> I'm too old for you, Justin. Uh, Justin just got into crypto. Uh, <laughs> I like all, the, oh, I'm wearing all black too, so I definitely look like somebody who's like into to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I like the I like the uh, consonants of uh, Daisy Chain. I like the way it rolls off the the palate. It's a Daisy Chain of movies that we talk about every single week. Of course, you're you're here listening to us. Of course, it is the uh, 13th Friday the 13th. Kind of upset we didn't have anything planned for this one. I didn't even realize we, it. We, we knew it was coming. I, I definitely knew it was coming. We couldn't do a Friday the 13th episode after ha- the Halloween, the three Halloween episodes. We can do we could have. We can do it anytime, anywhere. I think we're saving that one in the books for when the, the franchise eventually comes out of its uh, terrible state that it's in right now. So we'll, I, okay. I'll give you that so one. We're never doing that episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually... <laughs> I think that based on that, um, the Halloween Kills trailer that they put out, uh, I think they, I think they read that Friday script that, uh, what's his name? The Friday the 13th 3D script from a few years ago. Is it Acosta's script? Nick Acosta? I yeah, think, but uh, he I didn't write the, that though. He, I know, but I think the, there's, the ending of that script reminds me the climactic moments in the trailers remind me of the ending of that script. So I wouldn't be surprised if somebody finally used the concept that he went with. So I'm excited to see in a year, if that's the case. <laughs> movies done as hell, but we still got to wait a year to watch. In fact, a lot of movies are done as hell. Uh, but one thing we're seeing as the year rounds up and wraps up is that a lot of these movies we will not be seeing. A lot of movies don't have a calendar date. A lot of movies are just being pushed all the way to the spring, summer, um, how do you guys feel now that we have like an official, not like no holiday season for movies whatsoever? I think, I mean, I know it, it's been kind of wild, but now it's like official. But I mean, still, Wonder Woman 84 has not officially moved yet. I don't think it's yeah, not going to happen, but I mean, they haven't actually. Yeah. I, they just honest, put it out on DVD. Something. Yeah. Just fuck <laughs> it at this point. 
I don't care about like I'm not sad about the theater thing anymore. Like it's 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 officially like it. We I think we kind of have to accept at this point like it's there's it's never going to be the same. Like theatrical releases are never going to exist in the same capacity. Yeah, even as Regal Cinemas shuts down seemingly indefinitely uh, after you know news that there won't be any type of season of movies this year, um, it's looking dire. But it's also looking like you know they're taking it a lot more serious than they did a couple uh, months ago when they were like, ah, we could probably reopen. I think Tenet kind of flopping or sort of flopping really helped that. And like, it's expensive to stay open as a movie theater when it's slow. And like every theater has seasons where it's just shitty. You have like three months of the year where like it's shitty movies, no one comes to see them and you have to like, you know, be really, you know, tighten up and stuff. You can't always operate at that level though. So like right now you cannot keep a theater open by playing like, drive-in versions of like drumline or some shit like you have to you need new content i say that specifically because a friend of mine passed a drive-through in elena that was playing drumline and they were, they were, they were <laughs> I, would, um, I would absolutely go see that <laughs> but like you can't rely just on like rep stuff you have to have new movies and like even like shitty new movies would be helpful but there's not even that it's literally just like stuff that's gonna be on vod in two weeks and then everything else is just gone you know so it's just how it is. I mean, we have Netflix to keep us, like, happy or whatever, whatever bullshit, like, HBO Max is going to throw out. Like, it's not totally barren for the film goer. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is the, the one of the reasons we're doing this episode is because he's got one of the only, I mean, not only does he have one of the only movies coming out for the rest of the year, he just re-upped his deal with them. Yeah, and I of think course, for four the, years. Topic, the topic of today's yeah. episode is, of course, David M. Effin. Fincher. <laughs> we just got that sound effect today. We're going to use that. I, you guys said, I don't know why we would ever use this sound effect on this show. And I said, you know what? I'm going to find the perfect place to put that in. And of course, it is to introduce our guy, David Fincher, to the show. I'm surprised we haven't done him yet, but we'll get more into that in a second. We got to talk about, of course, what we've been watching, what is in the tube for all of us. Pat, what have you been watching? Uh, I uh, finally am rounding out. I have a few more, actually. He's got way more movies than I thought. My Tony Scott uh, catalog just watched uh, Crimson Tide and Deja Vu, both on wow. Amazon Prime. Uh, Deja Vu uh, was a little long for me, I think. It was just over two hours, but I think it could have been a little tighter. But it had this sequence. It's a lot like Tenant, actually, like a, a surprising amount. Um, it's almost like if you had given both directors like a writing prompt and like like a small seed and you like they would have split into these two movies. It's pretty cool. Uh, and there's a sequence where Denzel basically has these goggles that allow him to see four days into the past. And he's <laughs> he's driving and like the goggles are sending a feed to the people who can actually see what the goggles see. So he's just driving in present day, but the people on the other end are like guiding him on like a car chase basically and it's one of the coolest tony scott sequences i've ever seen and like a sequence on like any and really a movie that i've seen um and i think it was like these two movies especially crimson with crimson tide uh, with like it's 95 so it's young denzel uh it's just like one of the best movie duos ever um did you see tony um did you see days of the have you seen days of thunder yet i haven't seen that and i haven't seen top gun <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Top Gun. Is, 
It's just never appealed to me. That type of shit. Yeah, is just, I like, don't gen- like. But Days of Thunder is kind of like the same movie, isn't it? Like just with cars. It's it's identical. Like uh, I watched <laughs> Days of Thunder two weeks ago, and it's just it's just it's it's like Top Gun, the kind of way kind of way that like Casino was like Goodfellas. Like they're really they mirror each other in a lot of ways, but okay. there's little differences. The uh, Days of Thunder is cool. It's just not it's not great. Yeah, the Air I, Force. I thought Crimson like, Tide. Sorry, the, the Air Force. The Air Force was like, we need three hundred thousand more recruits. We got to make one more movie just like this. <laughs> uh, Crimson Tide, I thought remember, was fantastic. Uh, like I thought for like I haven't seen a ton of submarine movies actually. I I like them conceptually, and I've seen almost none. Uh, Crimson Tide, I thought was awesome. Hackman was great. His dialogue was a lot of hysterical. dudes. A lot of dudes lot of in dudes. those movies. There's a lot of. I mean, on the submarine, there's literally no women in the movie. Uh, deja vu, like Paula Patton is like has this weird romance with twenty year older Denzel, but uh, Crimson Tide, uh, so many men. But I mean, Steve Zahn, Gandolfini, uh, Viggo Mortensen. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and it's kind of like how I feel watching right. a lot of Tony Scott movies. So whoever's next can can go. I I do want to bring up an anecdote uh, about Top Gun. Now that it's on my mind, I remember uh, when me and Eric went to Comic-Con in San Diego. Oh, yeah. We were were hungry and we were like literally everything in San Diego when it's Comic-Con time becomes Comic-Con. So like all of the restaurants are like South Park's rhinoplasty. And it's like you don't know what they're serving. It's like you don't know what's going on. So Eric and I went across the street to this like dive bar um that was based on top gun but apparently it was the restaurant that they all hung out at so everything in the restaurant was top gun themed and i hadn't seen it i don't know if eric you had seen it but i had no clue what the fuck the menu was even talking about i mean i you know how i feel about the jingoistic movies like that but like i don't i don't have any cultural memory of top gun like it was never played a lot in my house i've seen it Probably by catching like ten minute increments over thirty years on like, TBS. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know on TBS when it hit on TBS, I cut right to Cartoon Network. I was not watching that shit. That's that's only way I've ever seen that movie. So like, yeah, it had all these like really niche sort of references to the menu, like I, ice pick uh, chicken sandwich or whatever. I'm like, who? What? I don't know what this means, but I think it was the bar where they shot either exteriors at or like where Tom Cruise like goes into the women's bathroom and I think has sex with the lady. Yeah, I think so. Sick. <laughs> very cool. He's four foot 11. So they had to put a step stool down for him. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, very he's, cool. He's, he stood on the urinal that's for kids. <laughs> no, he floated because of, he floated because of Hubbard. Um, Eric, actually, Eric, let, let's stay on you. Uh, what have you been watching, bud? Um, as you saw, I've been getting desperate. Um, oh, clearly, for once. I know. I, I actually like turned to Instagram. Was like, please, someone give me recommendations for 2020 movies because I don't take joy. Much to many listener surprises, I don't actually take joy in like ripping movies up. I actually want to like movies, and I've noticed like all my letterbox movies are like half star reviews. And shit. Um, so I got some. So I got some. Um, I did watch a few older movies, but. Uh, I watched First Cow last night. Yes. And that movie was like everything I needed right now. It's just this quiet, very gentle A24 movie about – it's sort of like the, an antidote to like The Reverend. Um, the, Revenant, the Revenant. The Revenant. Eric, before, before you get too far into this, I, I want to say I kind of think it's um, 
it's like a really wholesome version of the lighthouse. I was, it's funny you say it's shot with the same aspect ratio, the really boxed in aspect ratio, but like, it doesn't feel claustrophobic. The images are still really expansive. Kelly Reichardt directed it, but yeah, it's like these two, um, these two men on, on the frontier, almost like pelt fur traders, like just blossom, a friendship blossoms between these two guys. And um, yeah, it's like the opposite of, of the Revenant. Like they're not, they're fur traders, but they really want to like bake cookies for each other. <laughs> are, are there, are there, you know, I'm going to ask. There's no old timey cars because it was before cars. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a problem. If there's horses, that's a problem. Yeah. Number lots two. Of, lots of horses. And, but like, it's the cutest cow you'll ever see. But um, uh, uh, you know my second question. You know my second question. Are there black people in it? No, there's a, a Chinaman, and the rest are like ambiguous. Like, oh, are you allowed it? to say Chinaman? That's that's like literally what he calls himself. Um, yeah, it's like it's because that's like what it's like. A, the, here's why there aren't. This is not a good reason. But here's why there aren't black people in the movie because they hadn't brought slaves that far west yet. Yeah. They're, that's they're, like literally why. I mean, that's not a, that's yeah. shitty, but that's so, historically why. Yeah, there, there's na- there's natives, tons of natives, and it's it it, it is just sort of like this, this really like peaceful, sort of like commune that these people exist on. Of course, there's, you know, hierarchy and the what, and there's like rich, wealthy white people who sort of dominate. But Eric movie, is underselling what a class movie it is. Also, it it, it, it is. I, I was trying not to sound like a broken record. It is at its heart. <laughs> It, it, it I is, said it for you. It is, it is anti-capitalist at its core because it's like the, the need to make money like strips your joy and passion of any, of, of any joy. It, it strips your passions of any joy because it's like he just wanted to bake this, whole, this delicacy for his pal and then it becomes this huge commodity in the, in the, in the community so they have to sell it and then it kind of goes up the chain and they get into increasingly intense situations trying to finish making these baked goods because they have to steal just like social network no not even like that this is just new jack city yeah (laughs) this is literally just new jack city but it's like it's it's very gentle and it's very quiet and it's just like you fall in love with these two guys who are bonding under these very austere conditions and uh yeah i loved it all right cool uh i'll probably never watch this movie <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a slow it's a slow burn for sure How, what, what do you look like when you're watching things like this eric like i i i can see you obviously the listeners can't what do you look like when you're watching this movie um let me see i actually watched like an hour of it standing up because i was working out <laughs> you were working out during this yeah i was like because it's a lot there's like very it's very like there's very long moments of silence and it's just like establishing shots and and people just kind of doing like these really rote tasks over and over. So, like, okay, I'm so gonna, you like, had to do a rote task over and over. I work out when I watch Crimson Tide. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's a very masculine movie. And wow. I, big, big masculine energy and late fees this year. Let me uh, just tell you guys. I, me. I, I have to, I have to back Eric up and say first cow is easily my number one 2020 release. Like nothing else is even close. I mean, I don't know, it's not the longest list, but of the, I think it's 27 movies at this point. First cow's head and shoulders. Number one. Me too. Yeah, it, it, it displaced Palm Springs from my new number one of the year. Palm Springs should have never been on there. Uh, let's move <laughs> on to, to Dom. What's up, brother? What have you been watching, man? Uh, well, I, I rewatched almost all of Fincher's filmography for this episode. 
and then I'm also doing a like a Noir Vember series in the on my channel at the moment, my YouTube channel. So like I'm watching you know some old 1940s black and white. This is this episodes filled with movies Justin won't watch. Yeah, yeah like I, I will yeah. not listen. I every, did. <laughs> every episode I, I, of Armchair Art on Twitter comes out. I'm like, cool. That's, I'm watching that, and then it's some black and white shit pop up. I'm like, what you doing, <laughs> bro? <laughs> okay, we can't I, undersell you. I mean, you never mind. We'll get to you. Well, I, I did watch one uncharacteristic movie for me, which is I watched a movie called Death House from like a few years ago. Because um, like I did, I, I started for the site Spectrum Culture and like they do a feature like where you have to rotate writers out where you would watch something from streaming. And they usually just pick something bad, like pick something bad or weird that you watch, saw on Hulu or whatever. And just watch it and like, you know, write something funny. And I picked this movie Death House because like, it's called Death House. Like, that's, that's funny to me. And I expected like a real straightforward shitty horror movie like it's got like like every single like horror icon you see at, at like conventions and stuff all in the same movie it was like written by Gunnar Hansen right before he died and he just wanted to write a movie to be able to get like every monster movie guy in it like Sid Haig is in it like all these different people but the guy they got to write and direct it wanted to make like a serious movie about like the prison industrial complex or something so it's like a movie where there's like a super prison full of like every horror movie serial killer ever essentially or like a, a pastiche of them but then all the characters just have philosophical debates about like what this prison is doing and morality <laughs> and none of the actors in it are capable of doing that like they're you know what i mean like that's not what, that's not what they're for so it's like a 90 minute movie that felt like four hours i was watching like what the fuck is happening why this guy and like you're waiting for like the first half of the movie is like some fbi agents get to like this prison and it's full of all these like you know super killers and stuff and it's very like kind of cube-like because they're like doing weird like mind experiments on them or whatever and you're waiting for the point for the power to fail and them all to get let loose because it's a movie about killers in prison and then when that happens all of the action scenes of people getting stabbed and shot and their heads pulled off and stuff they all happen like in the dark so you can't see it so it was just like i felt like someone just did this to me on purpose i felt like i was like really fucking like con watching a movie <laughs> called Death House where like I saw almost no actual like murder. There's like one scene where like uh Kane Hodder plays like like a neo Nazi and he like pulls the guy's face off. That oh, was so he plays cool. himself. He plays himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean like and it just it was just like the movie does it's like you know, like shitty horror movies are just supposed to kinda of have like gore and like titties and like there's very simple things you have to do. And like technically they did all those things, but it just is so bad. And I was, that's why I went back to watching like movies from the forties. Cause I was like, well, I mean, these are all. Oh my God. Uh, I have been in a, a weird hey, No, place. my friend, you need to, you need to go uh, talk about, uh, you, you will watch old movies, watch black and white movies. You won't watch uh, artsy movies, but you did watch. And for you really enjoy, for you really enjoy Eraserhead. Oh man! Oh yeah, that's right. I did watch that. This <laughs> I watched Eraserhead, and anyone that knows me or anyone that watches this sh or listens to this show knows that I'm not a huge fan of David Lynch and his output. All right, not a huge fan. <laughs> but I went in because HBO Max had Eraserhead strangely in the horror section, and so I said, "Why not?" I think it's kind I mean, of horrific. It is, in, in a way. And, and I, I came away from it thinking it was essentially pretty solid. I didn't think it was like this magnum opus that everyone else did. And I, wouldn't, I never will. I, n I never would. But 
at the end of the day, I thought it was extremely like disturbing and, and kind of creepy, but also had a kind of like Maury Povich type feel to it. I, I, think, <laughs> I think homeboy Henry, is that his name? I think he should have definitely found out whose child that was. And I just leave it at that. Um, I, I also, think that's a completely reasonable takeaway from the movie. I think I was wondering watching the movie, like, did they bamboozle this guy? Because exactly. I, I saw it for the first time the same day that Justin watched it, actually. They, uh, DNA tests definitely were around at that point. Let's just be clear. Um, I also have watched, uh, what else have I watched? I watched, um, I watched New Mutants today. Uh, that was, that was just there. I don't really have anything extremely bad or good to say about it. It was, it was a movie. It it was a movie that released, uh, it was crazy that it was delayed for over I don't know why I I, I really don't know why the cut the the there was no like sex there's no boobs and there's no ass in it there's like there's cussing but it's not like extreme cussing in it the scary parts are not you know more scary than any straight to dvd movie you've ever seen before I I thought some of the acting was was you know serviceable and okay I mean on certain ends but then like you have uh Anna Taylor Joy like she's really good in the movie and I just feel like they kind of wasted her you know mm-hmm. but it, I, I guess it got it kind of goes to the theme of and I think Dom even said it in, in his review as well is just like these are movies that kind of they swing for the fences all the X movies always swung for the fences and they never quite got there but it kind of sucks that we're not going to see movies like this ever again because mm-hmm. you know there's definitely room for them there but um and I also watched what oh I watched the craft legacy <laughs> that was Oh, that existed too. <laughs> yeah, you, you Wanda Craft Legacy, my own shit while watching. You know, <laughs> Dom warns me every time. He warns me twice. He warned me through YouTube, and then he'll actually warn me personally when I say that I'm doing the stupid thing, <laughs> and I still do the stupid thing. So I think after this, I'm gonna just listen to what he says and not do the stupid thing of watching the movie that he says not to watch. So that is what I have been watching, uh, and you know. As we as we go into the the holiday season, we all get into our little we we get into into habits of holiday movies that we watch, um, and we're gonna we're gonna be doing that this year. We're gonna have a James Bond episode the next episode. So uh, everyone watches James Bond episodes in holiday season. We're gonna be doing that as well. I we have not talked about what movies we're gonna watch, so <laughs> I think we should do it like we assign people we, movies. We also and, talked about one one movie per Bond. That would yeah, be cool too. The, yeah, that, but but yeah. It, which would which would be cool, and it, and it actually fits because R.I.P. Sean Connery uh, passed yeah, away. Yeah, damn. However, he did ago. show up. He did show up in the end game montage of when uh, Biden uh, arrived to defeat <laughs> Thanos. Trump. He was. I, I think he not, was in uh, John Lewis Hulk's hand. Oh my! I was in tears watching that shit, man. I could not believe. I mean, if it was earnest. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And if it was somebody pretending to be earnest, it's still the funniest fucking thing. The way the oh, heads move. It was like earnest. Saddam, <laughs> it was the earnest, Saddam yeah. heads movements from South Park on like it. Like when Trump did the like serious like thing, I was pounding the table. I was clapping at the computer screen like a freaking psycho. Uh, <laughs> the the, the uh, Hunter Biden cigarette. Uh, Faye, oh just, yes! This, this is too good. This is, <laughs> I, that's when I like I screamed. <laughs> but let's get into uh, David Fincher. We have we have a lot of movies to talk about, of course. Um, David Fincher, known for being a music video director, born in Denver, Colorado. I, I don't mean to, to wrap up his career, but by that I meant to I meant to say where he's from first. So he's born in Denver, Colorado. A lot of weed around there. 
uh, and was known before directing movies uh, for directing music videos. Have you guys seen any of the David Fincher directed music videos? I went back and watched a few. I oh, have. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I had seen them without really realizing it, I guess. Uh, hilariously enough, he, he literally didn't do one for 20 years. Uh, and then the most recent one he did was the suit and tie video. <laughs> so stupid so weird but i mean i <laughs> so think weird. that's that, that I, but that too i think mostly because of justin timberlake and his relationship with him which is really weird too yeah well <laughs> it's such a like it like fincher does have we'll talk about this even with alien 3 like he's as much as he's like this really intense filmmaker who shoots like a thousand shots per scene <clears throat> he's also a very poppy guy uh and he was arguably at the peak of that when he was you know he put out suit and tie at the same time he made uh gone girl and that was yeah. easily his poppiest movie yeah uh one, one thing that i that from his music video career that i thought was dope was him doing the madonna express yourself video mm-hmm. I, he could he could have retired off of that shit alone yeah he, he continued going express yourself video is you know iconic in, in a lot of ways but you know that that right there should just let you know like the type of style and the, and the type of talent this guy had at the time before moving on to woof his uh his debut <laughs> if you will in alien 3 it's yeah. hard to even call it that man there it is a a jarring leap to go from two decades worth of music videos. I, I like, he did some funny stuff with Eddie Murphy and uh, Paula Abdul music video wise, but like, and, and, and a, I just can't imagine a world now where your debut is the third installment of a generational spanning sci-fi horror classic. And it's just, <laughs> it's such a funny debut for to foist upon this, this young guy at the time. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of fitting though, because I mean, like if you look at a lot of his like music video work and like his commercial work in the '80s, he's like very heavily influenced by Ridley and Tony Scott's commercial work from like the late '70s and stuff. So the idea of him like sort of stepping into like one of his early influences shoes and doing like sort of a return to what the first Alien is like versus the the James Cameron Aliens, you know, <clears throat> like on paper it kind of makes sense, but in the movie itself, it's just like not. It, it even there's even like, sequences in the movie where it's like, oh, I understand why they thought this was good. Like, I could, plenty of this on paper seems like it works, but then it doesn't. It, it yeah, reminds uh, me of, uh, tre- like, it's almost Trevor Rowe-esque, like, one indie under the belt getting Jurassic World or Universal. <laughs> yeah. Not to, not to compare Fincher to that fucking piece of shit, but I'm just saying at the time. But uh, I mean... Alien 3 was highly anticipated, to say the least, after James Cameron's Aliens released uh, years before this. Um, it went through, I mean, troubled. It, it doesn't even begin <laughs> to describe this movie, uh, including they shot, they tried to shoot the movie or they shot the movie without a script. Uh, there were various screenwriters and directors attached before they actually brought on uh, David Fincher, who replaced, I believe, Vincent Ward uh, as, as the director, I believe. They fired him after prep, I think. Yeah, which is just insane. I mean, th- this movie went through so so much just to end up being really like put like kind of sprawled on the cutting room floor for every alien after this. They pretty much never even talk about this movie uh, after this this came out. I mean, Alien Resurrection came out, and ever since then they they've just kind of kind of piled on it just to not you know to to retcon everything that's happened in it. 
um, including the ending of the of the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, is, which is we'll Rip- talk I haven't about. seen Resurrection. Ripley's a clone in Resurrection. Well, they retconned her death. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they they big retconned it. Like they were literally like this. Never they hand waved the shit out of it within the first. I'm pretty. It's funny because I know like Fincher has basically. Um, uh, according to Wikipedia, disavowed the movie. Like it sounds like he likes the um, assembled cut, but he or assembly cut. But he it is. I watched the original, and I I do. I am interested in watching the assembly cut at some point. But I read that he didn't actually. Dom says no. Uh, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't put it together though. Like they they showed it to him, and he was like, "Yeah, this is cool," but he didn't oversee it in any capacity. So he's basically yeah, he still like, this is like closer yeah. to what he wanted. So not only did he. Um, I don't want to, I don't mean to compare these two guys uh, too much, but I think Whedon who wrote the script for resurrection has more or less disavowed that movie in, in uh, most capacities. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sure. Whedon and um, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, I guess did not agree on anything, but I mean, one of them is like a really incredible French filmmaker. One of them is Joss Whedon. So like, I yeah. don't think that really matters either. <laughs> I think that Joss had wanted to make it more like, like, fun and generational and like tying back to like the vibe of aliens and like Jean-Pierre Jeunet probably just wanted to film like weird colors and shit so like that's why <laughs> Alien Resurrection yeah <laughs> I mean Rennie Harlan was attached to this movie as well for a while uh, after coming right off of Nightmare on Elm Street 4 he wanted to actually take the movie in different directions uh, he wanted to have the aliens visit Earth which uh, we I don't think we've ever got in any of these well, movies AVP. Before. I mean well you know that's like super loose sequel to these movies i'm just, but he, I'm just saying just saying but he also wanted to explore ABP watcher but he also wanted to explore the alien homeworld itself which we did get in uh prometheus and uh alien covenant uh but alien 3 i watched this a couple of days ago this might be the wrong time in america to watch Alien 3 for all, for, for everything that is good. And, and I, lean, I lean on the side of, I actually quite enjoy Alien 3. I don't hate it. I don't think it's the best of the sequels, but I feel like it has a style that the other movies don't have. And that's what I love about all of these movies. They're all different. So even if it does mirror the first in, in some ways, it has its own style that is just undeniable. But um, it's definitely a movie that is more dystopian and uh really just hopeless and helpless like it has rip uh you know ripley lands on a prison planet uh where literally the first couple seconds newt dies so there's a child murder in the first couple seconds um you know the home- stripping the emotional value of the second movie in some capacity 100 percent. like it, it it gives you everything that you went out on aliens on like okay they could build off of this and then fincher says fuck it and you know the as I watch this, and this will probably garner a lot of different reactions from you guys. The um, the deconstruction of this movie actually kind of reminds me of uh, uh, the Last Jedi in a lot of ways. I okay, so <laughs> I, I I can get a little I can get a little flavor of what you're talking about. How how so? Because again, like I said, it, it it has stripped away everything that you know you were kind of safe with uh, in in Aliens, like the the idea that I mean, obviously Ripley's still a badass, but also but having characters that you knew, characters that that you appreciated, characters that you actually grew to care about, and then it kind of takes everything from from the norm. It's like okay, we thought the alien was over that we had we had control of it over it, and they said no, they stripped it, they killed people that you liked, um, they they put you on a really like you know, barren planet. There's no, there's none of the action 
action horror that you saw in the, in the last movie and went right back to being uh, uh, even more depressing, kind of almost like, I don't, I don't know. Like it's just, it's not, the, all of the elements of the first two movies are stripped altogether. And that, and that is like what, you know, a lot of people hated about this. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it's kind of, as far, as far as the setting goes, I think it's kind of um, one of the things that gives the movie the distinct style is that it does kind of look like a B movie version of the first one to some extent. Uh, and that's something very yellow. Cool. It's very yeah. yellow. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like, um, it reminds me of the third, um, what's the one after Dawn of the Dead? Is it uh, Land Dawn of the, the Dead? Dead? Land of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, the one where they're in the south. Oh, oh da- Dawn of the Dead is, um, Dawn of the Dead, wasn't it? Um, Day of the Dead? Is it Day, Day of the Dead. Dead? It was Day of the it's Dead. Day of the Dead. Okay. Day Day. Day. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was like saying that. I'm like, it's called something else. It's not Day of the Dead. Uh, but yeah, it reminded me of Day of the Dead and like the like, you know, uh, claustrophobic central location type of thing. Um, but I think it doesn't, you know, the, despite having like, uh, Holt and other, like other actors who do have a ton of personality, even though they're like gruff guys, they don't really manage to flesh out this prison, uh, society in like a successful way. I don't think, or at least not to give it like the same character that, uh, the crews of the first two movies have. Um, and they all, it also like kind of, I, I think it's a fun movie. I don't hate it, but they do. Um, it also manages to kind of not say that much of like, I think even movies like this kind of accidentally say stuff about the prison system. Uh, and this one really, it's like, just like crazy prisoners. I think, I mean, so I, I watched this, the special assembly cut. I've mm-hmm. seen the theatrical, like when I was like 14 or some shit. So I don't remember very well. <laughs> Um, and I thought, oh, if Fincher was more into this, it'll be like good. And like, they definitely do flesh out the characters more and like Charles Dance's character and like Hutton and everyone like has more like stuff. Yeah. But because there's essentially no version of this movie that was like properly made, it doesn't matter. It's like Fincher's like a very talented, like visual stylist guy and stuff. And like, he understands story and details, but like it's his first movie. He has like no support from the studio. He's working from like six scripts cobbled together with like, strings it's just like there's no way for the movie to fully work there's little like 10 minute bits where you're like if i'd only seen this 10 minutes i would assume the rest of it is this good mm-hmm. and it just it just mm-hmm. isn't and it's kind of like painful to watch my conspiracy is that james cameron was like trying to tank this quietly because he wasn't involved he wanted it to <laughs> i'll show this young young up-and-coming scrappy director that he can't fuck with my monument well i mean even worse i i think like even bigger than the cameron fox fuck this up um the the uh really scott fucked this up everyone really like fucked this up like they they did everything that they could seeing the aliens made so much money to completely fuck this one up and and and, you know the fault doesn't lay on david fincher because i mean as dom said a lot of these script elements come together but they don't necessarily work so i I mean i don't know if i'm if it's just me but i feel like the prison thing could have been a different movie it felt like a different movie altogether when when, when Mm -hmm. you like think about it I think the concept itself is like cool. And I think that like, even like a five years later Fincher, if he got to make this movie without having someone like up his ass the whole time could have made this concept, this structure, these, this cast, all this stuff work. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just like, there's almost no movie in history that has like this shitty a production process, this many writers, this much like chaos and then someone makes it good. Like, that's incredibly <laughs> rare. So, like, anytime, like, a movie is about to come out and there's stories coming out about, like, oh, they've been through nine rewrites, and this guy, and this guy, you're like, all right, well, this is not going to work. I know that movie, they're not going to pull that across the finish line. Mm-hmm. 
so I just hope there's parts of it that are good or like you can kind of see what they were going for, but it's just, it's just doomed. So yeah. The, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I was kind of going to go over time, but I, I can, I can save it. Um, so the plot of this, Ellen Ripley, of course, survives aliens uh, and crash lands on a prison planet, as I said before, called, uh, called, where, where, where is it? It's called, uh, it's called Fury 161. It's kind of like a, a, a weird, like, not even cyberpunk, but like grunge punk <laughs> type place. Just, yeah, just space grunge. Yeah, with, with a lot of sweaty, this is a sweaty movie, by the way, a lot of sweaty, dirty men's. <laughs> including, They've never uh, even seen a woman. <laughs> <laughs> including uh, Charles S. Dutton, who, who plays Leonard, who's great in the role. He was one of my favorite characters. Uh, Charles Dance is in this. Brian Glover. A lot of other people. Of course, Lance Hendrickson makes a uh, cameo appearance as, uh, as the voice of Bishop. Uh, and, or, oh, we got to shout like, out uh, Pete uh, Postlewaite. Is that how you yes. say his name? Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah, R.I.P. And yeah, another, see, uh, another pod favorite, The Town. But so she lands. So she lands, and the idea is that Ripley is a ticking time bomb. Uh, we know that she had a face hugger that attached to her, and she has a alien inside of her. And of course, there is another alien that came out of the ship, the one that I believe killed Newt. And um, so, like they basically, it's a ticking time bomb. She you have to find the alien, but Ripley knows that she has one inside of her, and she knows that she has to stop this before it goes. Uh, it, it gets to earth. So that is pretty much the plot. And it's like the machinations here that like, she's the only woman here and she has to be the bigger badass out of all of them. And there's a very lengthy sequence of her having to prove herself to the inmates. How did you feel about Ripley kind of owning this character, Sigourney Weaver kind of owning this character this time? Because this, this um, you know, portrayal of her is something that we see throughout the series after this. I think that like, the coolest thing about Sigourney Weaver in Alien 3 is that very few movies have a character, like a final girl-esque character, whatever, that goes through a lot of shit. And then in subsequent movies, like, it, you, you always feel like there's sort of like a, a stunted growth with them. I feel mm -hmm. like in this movie, even though stuff doesn't work, you believe that she's lived through the first two movies. And she conducts herself like, I've already done, I've already explained this shit to Paul Reiser. I already know what's going on. Like, you know, so she, there's, there's something about it that's actually kind of like interesting uh, that doesn't really happen in four because of like the clone shit. But like here, it, you really buy the like the baggage from the first two movies. It, it makes it really feel like it's a cohesive universe solely from her performance. It's yeah, one it of the like. It, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, and it doesn't feel condescending either. Like this was what two years, three years before like GI Jane and 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 sort of like the original kind of like girl boss uh, approach to uh, female <laughs> female centric um, like heroines. Um, Especially in the military. Yeah, exactly. So or in like, military settings. Exactly. Where it's like stripped, stripped of all vulnerability and just like the rocks favorite word. Oh, she's badass. But with no, any sort of interiority or like, yeah, or, I mean, even movies like private Benjamin were coming out, at, yeah. at, uh, you know, a few years after this. Yeah. So yeah, like Dom said, like the lived-in experience is very is very real and, and and can tell. It's the first movie probably where I mean because it's the third one. The second one is kind of true, but it's really true for this one where like she is the franchise at this point. Like as much as the Alien itself is the franchise, uh, Sigourney is too, and that you know yeah. is hard. She's the most like I mean the Alien is, but she's just as iconic. I would say. Sure. And we we get a lot of Alien in this movie. 
it is now, and again, the idea that the xenomorph kind of becomes whatever it absorbs. Uh, so the first thing that it absorbs is a dog in the movie. So it, it's on its hind legs. It's moving. Looks like we, we mentioned it looked a little uh, low budget. It looked a little low budget here. What do you guys feel about the alien in this movie? It's impossible, especially because it comes from the dog, to not think of uh, the thing sequence where the thing emerges from the dog, which I just saw a couple, I mean, two months ago. And the practical effects in that scene are grotesque and they look absolutely amazing. And this just like, you can see the like almost a static outline around the alien when it's on screen. And it just, it, it hurts, man. Practical is always, it will kick at, kick the ass of VFX any day. However, I am partial and I'm probably alone here. The Xenomorph in, what's the Danny McBride one, the most recent one, the really angry? Covenant. Covenant? Oh, Covenant, yeah. When it's like, uh, you see the full, like, all black Xenomorph on, like, the bow. When it's on the, yeah. That that haunts me. Like, that that imagery to this day was, like, got under my skin. But, yeah, this one is, is almost, like, laughable. It's it's the squib it's the squibs argument. Like, just give me the blood squibs. Don't give me anything digital. I, I think it's less the fact that it's digital and more the fact that it was like digital done bad. It was not a process where like you have sure. someone like Fincher to see it all the way through and like pick it apart. Am I okay? I don't remember this from when when I re- when I watched the assembly cut. It's way too long and it put me to sleep like four fucking times. So I I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure isn't Alien Three the one that has like the iconic. Thing where like the alien gets all up in her face and like sticks the tongue out and stuff. I like, remember yes. that was like, yeah, that was like a really parodied and like big pop culture thing in the yep. movie. And in the assembly cut, I can't remember if the, if it's still in there or not. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the <laughs> one shot from this fucking movie I remember from when I saw it as a kid. And I just, I don't, it's like, I don't know if I just like dozed during that sequence or whatever. But like, it's weird to me to think about that. Even though this movie is like a nothing burger for most people, like most people don't have like fond memories of Alien Three. Moments like that stick out in like the cultural conscious more than anything in resurrection or AVP or even like mm-hmm. stuff in like Prometheus and Covenant really. And, and I think thought it was that, funny. Think of that I scene thought... itself. Like that scene is like kind of an encapsulation of what the xenomorph is to Ripley and what it is as a, as a creature. Like it is a, to me, like a super sexual being, like even the way that Geiger created these things, like they, they're like naked essentially. And the only way like, yeah. They are, they are, you know, these types of creatures, like the long tail, it's phallic, all of it. Like it literally I mean, everything. <laughs> if you can look at a, any single Geiger image and not think like this man was horny, uh, <laughs> like you, you, can't, you can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> Super horny, man. But I mean, but again, like I feel like some of the, like, other than that scene, a lot of that is lost. Like the, the creature just isn't sexy. In, the, in this movie like it, no it's, and it's sexy in other movies yeah and even in aliens when there's like 200 of them at one time and you can see them in full broad daylight and that's another thing that or one thing that i i was kind of like weird about was just like okay we, we're used to seeing this thing in broad daylight like what are you still trying to hide this thing for like we've seen yeah. them open we've seen literally all of them before and this movie's taking it back to them being mysterious again it's like once you like Alien was aliens was kind of like the genie in the bottle moment. Like once it's out of the the, the bottle, we know what it mm-hmm. is. Like even in, like the the scene that Eric mentioned in Covenant, you know, back in the day, that would have been a scene that they released after the movie came out. This was like in the second trailer. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. we've seen what the xenomorph is. It's just weird how they you know he he was still trying to create the mystery of it. Maybe it was because of budget. I'm not sure. Yeah, 
I think some of it was probably budget. And I do think some of it may have been just like trying to take it back to like the original, which is like, I know people love Alien, but like Aliens is just better. I, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. Like Alien is like a cool. I, I get it. I know it's like better, but Aliens is better. It's, it's I don't give a shit. They, they really fucked up by not making seven more of that movie. You, you know, this movie is doomed when it's like the three is like cubed. It's not. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Nev- it's like never it's do real that. tiny. It was real tiny three. <laughs> never Even do on that. Letterbox, they managed to get the the exponent i'm coming in like this right yeah <laughs> it's such a 90s thing like literally this means like it it's an exponent it doesn't it's not a stylization it's it's literally a math thing like, why is e, it like this make the second e or yeah the the e a three or something yeah. like, turn, <laughs> come on i support wow. the letter substitution yeah that, that's, yeah that's money i i love advertising and marketing eric here i need to get him in a in a room in a scrum real quick so he can start like <laughs> promoting these movies i was the one uh, who told eminem to turn the e around okay <laughs> <laughs> um okay before we got we have we have like quite a few movies to talk about um before we, we belabor the point i want to get to seven before um we go to break but would you guys keep this in your movie collection i think i will if only following the rules of pat and, and dom if only because i you need to have the third one there to complete the trilogy i will keep this here i i, I would agree i, I don't know about the one with Winona Ryder, but uh, yeah, that's Resurrection, right? Yeah, that's the after. That's 97. Yeah. This is this yeah, you way gotta, the, the, If it has the, a subtitle, you can cut it off. Yeah. Uh, terrible stylistic choice of the three uh, considered. Uh, yeah, we'll keep three. I'm going to break like, my one I... rule and get rid of three. I don't. Okay. Whoa. There's aliens and they, literally, they literally did not make another good one after this. So, like, to me, this is one of those situations where it's like, you know, the alien franchise died its way back to its own planet, and, and that's, that's, the, that's the end for it. I'm keeping it to memorialize a young Fincher. Oh, that, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. What about you, Pat? Um, I, I kind of, I'm really ambivalent on it. Like, I kind of, like, I'm kind of, like, listening to my argument for, like, Dark Knight Rises earlier, and I'm like, it would have just been better with the two, uh, like Dom is saying. Uh, so I, I, I'm not going to keep it, actually. Wow. I, I think I've developed a reputation for being a little merciful. Uh, you, in, you, in you have. Movies. You've been I'm, merciful I'm, to the point where I get annoyed at times. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to keep it. I'm not, I'll, 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 I'll make a, the controversial decision. I'm sorry, wow. Dave. That's a wow. split. We haven't had a, a even split. Yeah, like that's an even split. Ever. Almost ever. And, or, or me and Eric actually agreeing on something. <laughs> <laughs> almost ever. Yeah. Uh, but before we go to break, let's, let's flash forward to 1995's Seven. Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my sin. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? Seven. What is in the fucking box? He said on uh, him and Leo did uh, Marin for Once Upon a Time last year. And yeah. he said this is still, after all these years, that's still what people yell at him the most. <laughs> Imagine being 55 years old and the hottest man alive and somebody <laughs> screaming at you, what's in the fucking box? Uh, now, Seven kind of follows what Eric literally just said. So Fincher might have listened to a prepubescent Eric back in the day because Seven actually has the number in the title yeah. of the movie. So there you go. Uh, it is a detective kind of like crime thriller movie. Uh, starring Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kevin Spacey, R. Lee Ermey, and John C. McGinley. Holy shit, what a cast. 
Truly. Uh, so it has, it has Pitt and, 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 and Freeman uh, as partners who are trying to track down a serial killer who is using the seven deadly sins as a theme for his murders. This movie, <clears throat> if there was any movie when I was a kid that my mom was like, absolutely fucking not, you're not watching, this was the one. And I think of anything, this is a movie that kind of defined the Fincher style. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And I, I, go ahead. Bob. I didn't see it till this year, actually. A couple of these wow. I had not seen until this year. And it was because I knew what was in the box. And so I was like, okay, A, I don't really want to see this sad ending. Uh, and uh, also I knew, like, you know, it was, it's both sad and I knew it. So I, I just didn't see it for so long. But it was, it's like the, has been since it came out almost, like the movie of its type. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it does feel like, his auteur voice is this is the first time we really got to see that. I mean, it's present in as much as it can be in a movie like alien, which is so studio controlled and this sort of very, not generic, but it has to appeal to the widest audience possible with something that big. It's like a product. This is where like his nihilism really shows and like his love for very dank Brown and wet <laughs> atmospheres really comes through and uh, yeah, very nihilistic worldview that I appreciate, but um, yeah, it, this almost feels like a proper debut, which is insane to think about because this movie is so synonymous with him. And it's like, this is the kind of movie a, a true auteur might've made like four movies in into his career. Mm -hmm. this is, yeah, this is I, I will say like with, with, with this one, it feels having like just seen it after seeing a lot of his later movies first, it does feel a little rudimentary. Uh, like I was pretty surprised when I finally saw it by how much people love it. Uh, you know, like twist aside, like obviously people always will marry a movie to the twist the first time mm -hmm. they saw it. But it's just like the stuff with Morgan Freeman's character is like a little bit goofy. Uh, just just what he... What and that's the, the retirement. That's the retirement angle thing. Yeah. And like, you know, when he's like at the library and stuff, I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like I enjoy watching it. But like for a movie that's so serious and dour, it's actually like just a little bit goofier and rudimentary than I, I would have thought it, it was going to be. But I think that's... I mean, it's a pop movie. Yeah. I think goofiness is sort of part and parcel with David Fincher. It, it, within, it, absolutely. Within the nihilism, there is always like silliness, even if it's Benjamin Button or Panic Room or, um, yeah, Social Network uh, particularly, or even the game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the visual poetry isn't as is, um, prevalent, I would say. That comes a little later. I think probably with the game is when that, that sort of... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here it's more rudimentary, but it's like it's a very like sturdy visual style. Like there's a lot yeah, of very like simple classical filmmaking techniques that are used in like a very '90s way, and like great script, like really everything about Seven is great. I saw Seven when I was like nine, uh, and when I was in fourth grade, uh, we were watching some movie in in class, like some kids movie that Kevin Spacey was in, and they made the mistake of saying like, "Oh, that's the guy from Seven. And my teacher heard me and was like, "How the fuck do you know that?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't know." CPS, she's calling CPS. <laughs> um, but like, I've seen Seven like 30, 40 times. Like, I've, I've seen it so many different times. And like, the one thing I think that's really interesting about this movie is like pairing it with like Bad Boys in a way because like, okay, Michael, Michael, Michael Bay and Fincher like used to work together when they were like music video directors. They worked for, like the same studio house, whatever. And like, all reports are that Michael Bay was like little David Fincher. Like, he just wanted to be like Fincher. If you watch a lot of the music videos side by side you'll have like a really dope Fincher video and then like the shitty dumb version of it that Michael Bay did that like looks similar, <laughs> but is just like hollowed about nothing and has more tits. Yeah. And 
like they both burst onto the scene around the same time with like two, you know, uh, black actor led like sort of buddy comedies I and mean, uh, buddy cop movies. I mean, like Seven's not like a comedy at all, but like they both have. It's interesting watching the two of them together because they right. both are such like a bolt of inspiration between what these guys, the rest of their careers would be like, um, but on a smaller scale and a more intimate scale, like, you know, establishing who they are to everybody and, you know, vastly different ideologies and like styles, but they make for a weird double feature. I did it once. It was, it was very fascinating. And seven is such a, such a fucking sledgehammer of a movie. It is literally from start to finish the imagery uh, the, the way it's cut, the way that it's acted, it's very much like it hits you over the head with its theme and it's, it really spares nothing. I'm, I'm actually really shocked, you know, seeing what he went through with Alien 3, that he got a second chance to do this with such a crazy, ca- a bigger cast than he'd had with Alien 3. And he, he managed to like really, in my opinion, pull it off. I, I really just wanted to touch on this because I, I don't think I've ever talked to any of you guys about, about Seven before. But, um, you know, looking back on it 20 years later, um what do you got well shit is it 20 is it 30 no it's 20 years later um what yeah 25 like what do you what do you guys feel about the the twist now that's really what i want to get out of it and of course the twist is hey if you don't know the twist fast forward this uh about (laughs) three four minutes and 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 don't listen for three or four minutes starting now um what do you feel about the twist about what's in the box you know has that aged well now well uh I'll start off on a lighter, more jovial note. It did produce the funniest vine to ever exist, where it starts out with Brad Pitt saying, what's in the fucking box? And it cuts to a dude eating frosted flakes out of a box of cereal. He goes, frosted flakes, damn. And then it cuts off. Uh, it, I mean, it holds. It, I mean, it's still like, – it, it's as ex- exploitative as it is affecting. Like, it, it, it's both in equal measure. Like, it is a sort of exp- – exploitation move to do that but it's also mm-hmm. doesn't make the the visceral impact of it any less and I, I still you know re-watching it and kind of brushing up on it this past week i was like oh yeah this still it, it, it i have to take a shower after i watch that movie it, it's still even a 20 a 25 year old movie has that grime and grittiness that yeah only i think fincher is one of the rare people who can do that I think it's both affecting and I, but I, I do wish that she, I think her character is one of the weakest points of the movie. You mean, you mean uh, Tracy? You mean Tracy? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, I, like you're sad for him, but like it, that, that was the thing that kept me from watching the movie. Cause I just thought I was going to be so sad for like this couple basically. Uh, and I was, it works for the movie, but I did. It didn't hit me emotionally the way I thought it was going to, or the, literally the way I had feared it was going to for years. Not, not even when he says that she was pregnant. That was just uh, edge lord shit to me. That didn't yeah, hold that, up as well. That, that, that was, that's actually what really uh, why I don't like it. It does feel edge lord, edge to me in a way that he isn't anymore. I will say two things. One, I think the main reason that it doesn't really emotionally hit people, even people who really like the twist is that even with more screen time, even with like more, you know, like robust writing, uh, just who likes Gwyneth Paltrow, I think is a big thing. It's just like, yeah. I, I can't think this, of any this movie was, where I'm like. Yeah, I, this, this was like one of the best, like most famous roles for her, especially at the time, I think, right? Yeah, like, yeah. But I mean, like, I, I just, I, I don't, I, I think even then, like, there's just, she is not like someone that you like connect to. And I think yeah. if you had casted anyone other than her, 
like even without better writing, it would have worked more in terms of like, the emotional effect because like you, you you connect to them. And I don't I don't I don't I don't think people connect to Gwyneth Paltrow, but like to me the twist holds up really well. Not so much because the Edward Edward side of things, but it's like it's a really well done twist in that it doesn't it plays out in like a really cool sequence. You know what I mean? It's not like just like a a little gotcha at the very end of the movie. It's like a really smart culmination of everything that's come before. It's very well executed. It's very well acted. It's very well everything. And like the fucking guy that wrote it, Andrew Kevin Walker, has like no career after this movie beyond like doing punch-ups on Fincher's stuff. And around the same time, the guy that did the other big mid-90s movie twist, Chris McCoury, Fusual Suspects, is now making movies with Tom Hanks. I mean, Tom Cruise, like hanging off of planes and shit. And like, yeah, I like Chris McQuarrie a lot, but I've always thought that was kind of like an injustice. So, like Andrew Kevin Walker is like very clearly a very talented screenwriter. And I don't know what the fuck happened to him. Like only, only other like non-Finch related credit he has is like eight millimeter. So maybe he was just too fucked up mentally to write movies people want to watch without someone guiding his hand. But I don't know, it's always a bummer to me. It's funny that he wrote 8mm because I also think 8mm is a pretty gross movie uh, that I thought I was going to love after like the first 30 minutes. But then it gets like, I just think it gets like kind of bad after that. Like the world the Cage is exploring, like his like, are some films real? And it's like, yeah, what do you, yeah, that's what you're here. (laughs) What is this movie about? Uh, And and, like compared to like uh, 8mm, 7 is like my favorite movie. (laughs) So uh, that is seven. Really, really quick. Not, not too, not too deep into it. But um, are we, gonna, are we gonna keep this one really quick, Dom? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, Pat, I gotta keep it so because people might want to watch it. Eric, absolutely. Gonna keep it as well. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're gonna talk about the fall of American democracy with the Social Network yeah. and late fees. <laughs> When we met in January, I expressed my doubts about the site, where it stood with graphics, how much programming was left that I had not anticipated. The lack of hardware we had to deal with, site use, the lack of promotion that would go on to successfully launch the website. This was the first time you raised any of those concerns, right? I'd raised concerns before. Bullshit. Not to us. Gentlemen, I'm talking about at the meeting in January to which this letter is referring. Yeah. Let me rephrase this. You sent my client 16 emails. In the first 15, you didn't raise any concerns. Is that a question? In the 16th email, you raised concerns about the site's functionality. Were you leading them on for six weeks? No. Then why didn't you raise any of these concerns before? It's raining. I'm sorry? It just started raining. Mr. Zuckerberg, do I have your full attention? No. Do you think I deserve it? What? Do you think I deserve your full attention? I had to swear an oath before we began this deposition and I don't want to perjure myself, so I have a legal obligation to say no. Okay, no. You don't think I deserve your attention? I think if your clients want to sit on my shoulders and call themselves tall, they have a right to give it a try, but there's no requirement that I enjoy sitting here listening to people lie. You have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. The rest of my attention is back at the offices of Facebook, where my colleagues and I are doing things that no one in this room, including and especially your clients, are intellectually or creatively capable of doing. Did I adequately answer your condescending question? All right, everybody, we are back on late fees. I'm going to use this all episode long. Blame Dom for this. Um, We are talking about David Fincher. Uh, right before the break, we talked about Alien 3 and 7. Of course, like his, they, like David Fincher's filmography is so like multi-layered that it takes us forever to like go through his movies. But we did have to watch two movies for this episode, one of them being Alien 3, the other being Social Network. But I don't want to like, 
I feel like it's like a disservice to skip over everything else. Mm-hmm. So, um, of all of his all of his movies before uh, Social Network, which one would you guys like to talk about right now? So it's The Game, Fight Club, Panic Room, Zodiac, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Just so this episode doesn't go three hours. I think so. This episode isn't as long as Zodiac, even though I would like it to be. <laughs> uh, I will say uh, briefly that uh, I just hit, uh, I think, 208 new movies this year. Uh, Zodiac, yeah. is, Zodiac, Zodiac is the clear cut number one uh, of the movies that I've watched this year. I love it so much. I've watched it like three or four times. Uh, but uh, I think we should talk about Panic Room. Wow. Oh, yeah. Panic Room. Okay. Okay. Call. Panic Room 2002, uh, starring Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart. Um, actually, Forrest Whitaker, Jared Leto, also in this. Dwight Jared Yoakum. Leto with the cornrows. What a, what a uh, hey, if this came out in 2020, I don't want to even see what the tweets are going to be about. Okay? <laughs> it would have been a meltdown on, on all social media if, they, if this came out. Um, this was a David Cope uh, screenplay, or it was written by him, I remember. Um, Nicole Kidman was originally supposed to be the Jodie Foster character. Okay. That would have been that would have been something else. Uh, but what do you guys think about this movie? This is a movie about a a woman and her daughter that were uh, they're stuck in a panic room trying to hide from burglars in their new home. I remember when it came out, I I didn't know who David Fincher was or like anything about movies, and I was like, this seems dumb as hell. Uh, <laughs> but then I watched it this year, and it was like, oh. Uh, it aged really well outside of some of the like experimental CGI he insisted on using, like when they transition between floorboards and 17 inch walls of steel and you know, that type of shit. Uh, I love the three guys together. Uh, I think they're a hilarious uh, and kind of believably against each other uh, group of criminals. And uh, I think that, Christian Stewart and Jodie Foster are a really weirdly believable mother-daughter combination. Yes. It's which, great casting. Great hey, casting. That stuff, fathers, sons, mother-daughters, some, sometimes they get brothers and sisters right in movies. I don't think they get father-son, mother-daughter combinations right very much, and this has to be one of the best ones ever. I mean, at least not in these types of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think that one thing that a lot of people talked about uh, was the portrayal of, like, diabetes in this movie as well. Oh, right? Yeah. No, that no, is he, huge, it is. It's it's true. It's a huge part of the movie is yeah. <laughs> is um is the 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 the, the like the syringes that mm-hmm. she has to go back and get because she's she's gonna she's gonna because Sarah's gonna have a seizure or whatever she has a seizure and then that's a whole subplot and I thought that that was like actually like it it not only provided um a sense of empathy for the character but also like a sense of urgency for what was going on in the movie and I thought that that was actually a cool little aside uh, in the middle of the movie there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is late fee, so of course I have to bring up like this is obviously a 9/11 allegory. Um, Everything changed. Like this was probably shooting months before and or after it came out in what mid 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think I wrote I wrote something similar in my letterbox review how this was like the illusion of the security state, the illusion of protecting yourself like uh, from the other, uh, the sort of allegory of. Yeah, like hypersecurity and what what would come in the wake of like the Patriot Act and just and, like and just like nine eleven because Forrest Whitaker worked for the alarm company it was an inside job. You know, this goes to to quote Pafif like they just don't make movies like this anymore where it's like equal parts. I mean, and Fincher has sort of been walking this line 
his whole career, as we were saying, like can be nihilistic and goofy, sort of highbrow, but also shock, shockly, shock, schlocky and middlebrow, uh, which is what I think Panic Room is. It has like this this sheen and this and this polish of like a very, very expensive, very almost like capital S serious like thriller, but it's just like three stooges breaking into a house <laughs> yeah. and and home and then then they home alone them they like send fireballs down a chute and it blows jared leto back and like it's um it's a it's a ton of fun i, I miss studio movies like this i think fincher is like the king of modern day blending prestige with like popcorn shit you know what 100%. i mean like he's a very serious filmmaker his movies are very like visually you know like detailed and stuff but like ultimately he he just wants to do like he wants he wants people to have fun the same way you know what i mean, I mean I it's why like, it's why him and Reznor work so well together because Trent Reznor oh, I mean, sure. listen to the listen to the bass lines on these on Trent Reznor after 2004 he's a pop like the, those are poppy bass lines yeah. it, it is sometimes yeah that's a great way to put part, it I think. popcorn and prestige i think is the great way to put it i mean cuz like, you're watching like oh, really? social network or the opening credits of um girl with the dragon tattoo and you're like this is so serious but it's awesome. Uh, and that, like, it's how you feel watching his movies. Well, the color, no, the, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is like a Bond movie, like, a, yeah. like, a, like yeah. a fucked up Bond movie. I think it's better than some of the Craig Bond movies. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think the one, one thing that I was looking at for this movie when I first like, saw it was I was like, when is the Home Alone shit gonna, gonna, gonna crack? And I mean, once it happens and all the, the booby traps come out, you're like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, yeah, I really yeah. enjoy all the booby traps in this movie. Um, but again, like Jodie Foster, man, is she like an unsung hero? I feel like we don't talk about yeah, Jodie Foster. Yeah, right? I think she's fantastic. Because then she kind of just made worse versions of this movie afterwards, like Flight Plan. Uh, and what's that movie? Thing with Hotel Artemis? Yeah. And yeah like the, the Brave one where she like guns down criminals. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that one. Like, yeah. She's just, she, I, I think probably because of, um, you know, people's obsession with her sexuality to, to know uh, in no small part, it has had an impact on her career. And I think that just what she is really good at is not something that is written often enough because, you know, think about Clarice or in Sounds of the Lambs or her character, whatever her character's name is in in panic room and it's like oh these roles just don't exist for women in most cases and that's why she hasn't had just why she is an unsung hero uh i revoke hero uh, status for her um like molecular defense of mel gibson all the time oh shit she did that i, I, I yeah. didn't know about this no i, yeah, knew, I knew eric would know i knew eric would know something <laughs> i'm sure she's fine but whatever fat man on streaming services next month 24th i think yeah and the like month. I like Mel Gibson killing like a UPS USPS worker is just what we need right now apparently. <laughs> um, uh, let it, let's go into Social Network. Twenty ten, still Fincher's most critically acclaimed movie, uh, biograph uh, biography, uh, written by Aaron Sorkin, <laughs> adapted from the book The Accidental Billionaires. Uh, it is about the the rise of Facebook with uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Eduardo Saverin and Sean Parker, of course, played by uh, Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield, and Justin Timberlake, uh, respectively. All elite casting. Very, I, I, we're going to gush about this movie for at least 10 to yeah. 15 to 20 minutes at this point. Okay, we have to, I think uh, before we dive into this really uh, deeply, I'm going to forget this if I don't say it now. 
the social network is a lot like um, Fight Club to me in that they've both um, kind of been co-opted by the thing that they're meant to skewer. Uh, the same way that like Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. is like, please stop playing Born to Run for the troops. It's a protest song. Like I'm begging you, Republicans, stop playing it. It's not good. And it, this is the same thing. It's like, Justin, you were saying how like Kanye thinks that uh, he watches this movie and thinks that uh, Jesse Eisenberg is the good guy or like yeah. Tyler Durden is the good guy in Fight Club. The, the, bad, the bad types of people um, have attached to this movie. Yeah. And I know it sounds really bad. It's like the Wolf of Wall Street thing uh, yeah. that people think Jordan Belfort is like a, the hero of Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. And, and or like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like the the wrong crowd doesn't recognize they have zero self-awareness to realize what this movie is trying to say. And, and not to say I, I would give that a pass in 2010 before we knew what Facebook really was going to become and what it is now, which is a a literal global surveillance panopticon and recruit recruiting tool for like the the least pro- like of in in a world of horribly uh, unprogressive social media sites it's the worst one it's the most <laughs> it's the most anti-democratic but it's in, also in, anything it, we have it's the easiest though isn't that why we use facebook because it's the easiest thing to use with with twitter you have a restriction with instagram it's literally like just pictures and i facebook think it's, the it's everything I think I think this was the first one that really I mean obviously like MySpace and and other things existed in the in the meantime but this one really this one really was um a sort of zeitgeist defining even like a psychologically defining social media Well it's app. even in the it's even in the movie like Yeah the, I was like, just going to say this features are literally like mimicking actual real life things like yeah. in real life you don't have a a top 8 of your friends so like MySpace yeah. was like not realistic when you walk into someone's house they don't have like theme music playing and stuff. You know what I mean? But like Facebook actually did in some ways replicate like collegiate social, whatever life. Yeah. I think, I think the, I think the fight club comparison is really interesting too, because like Fincher is such a, such a like, like a, a touchstone guy for depicting like the evolution of masculinity, like in America specifically. Cause like fight club is like nineties, like, you know, bros. And, and I mean, it's, it still rings true to like proud boys and shit like that today or whatever. But like here, it's all these like weird beta dudes, and they they try to rebuild a digital version of the world that they do not fit into and cannot actually exist properly in. But if you like take away the meat flesh, and they're just like little profiles and like and like, all the digital bits and stuff, like they can survive. And it's such a, I don't know. I think that is why Facebook is so pernicious because like the movie shows you the source code of Facebook is a dude being bitter that a girl broke up with him. Like yeah. everything about the way it was created comes from like this place of uh, this place of like cowardice and like and malice and stuff so like pettiness and yeah pettiness yeah ultimately pettiness like social social grievance yeah yeah and and essentially it's it's funny that we watched this movie you know i I don't even know if we even again foresaw what was going on right now but it's like you know it's going on today right now Mm -hmm. and it reflects like even watching it it's like hey this is exactly what these people feel like they feel like they are the other They, they are other these are these are like privileged white people Feeling mm-hmm. like they're other, and they feel like they, you know, and and even the thing with him is like he spread. I mean, I wouldn't just. I mean, he spread misinformation on his own thing just to start the whole shit up, and it's still going on today. You know, it's just crazy that that movie hit so much heavier today 
than it did literally 10 years ago. It is the 10 year anniversary of this movie. And yeah. it's it just as hard today I as, think, it, as it did then. I think what's especially crazy about it is like kind of like, like both Dom and Justin have just said is like, while you're, what ends up being so revealing about it is that like, even, even though you know that he's, you know, I've seen the movie as we all have now dozens of times and you know that Zuck is the both, both the bad guy in the movie and in real life. And even as they're watching it, you're watching it unfold the little create the literal creation of Facebook. You're like, Oh yeah, this is why this worked. Like it experiencing this in real time was you understand why it's a drug to these guys and why it was a drug to people when it was first coming out and still is now. Uh, but I, I mean, I think it's, it's the moment it's so it's, it's one of the most Sorkin moments of the movie, I think, but it isn't, it's why Sorkin is sometimes he's a, he is a good writer. He's an idiot, but he's a really <laughs> good writer. He's got, he's kind of lost, what he does doesn't really need to be done more or anymore. But for a while, he was an amazing writer. And the moment when Zuckerberg realizes like, oh, I have to add the relationship status to the website. And then he runs home and he's like, oh, now, now it's done. Like, it's an amazing fucking moment in the movie. I think in American filmmaking in the last couple of decades, it's just really like, oh, look, that's why we we all thought that and Zuckerberg thought that too. Like, okay, good, good. I, I think, I mean, we're going to have to talk about Sorkin to talk about the social network because like, I think the Sorkin's viewpoint into this story and like what Facebook was going to do for the world, I think at that time he had sort of the like, you always be on that phone approach to the to commentary here where it was like, Facebook is bad because we're all going to be on computers and phones that are talking to each other. I think that's what Sorkin got yeah. out of this story like that's yeah. why facebook is bad and i think fincher understood like no it's going to be more destabilizing than that you know what i mean like at the time when people complained about social media it was like it's gonna be so bad because like you're never gonna be face to face you're only gonna facebook people or whatever and all that dumb shit and it's like no no it might actually lead to the end of democracy or the, 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 <laughs> the, 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 the you know it's, it's, it's so much worse than that and i think that the social network is a really interesting culmination of there's like, okay, so in filmmaking, right? There's like writer directors, guys who like write their own scripts, tell their own stories, and then adapt them and, and film them and stuff. Fincher is like maybe the biggest, other than like Spielberg, non-writing director who is very heavily involved in the development and rewriting of scripts for his movies. And I read the script that Sorkin wrote for this, I want to say like six months before it came out. Like I remember it released online. I read it like five times. It was like the yeah. coolest shit ever. They released it online like, as a publicity stunt, didn't they? Like, wasn't I think it? they might have. Yeah. I just remember being, I remember I was still like in heavy uh, early 20s West Wing brain. I thought it was like the, all the dialogue, it's so cool or whatever. This, this and, movie came out when I still visited JoeBlow.com. Yeah, it was <laughs> that era. And when you watch the finished movie, it is so much better. It's a, it's a really good script and I'm glad Sorkin got the Oscar for it. But like the thing that makes it good is that he had to be in a room with a guy, David Fincher, for months going, no, stop that. Stop this. <laughs> yeah. Change this. And there's just that, those, those refinements and watching this movie, it's like, wow, there are still little flecks of things I don't like about Sorkin's writing, mm -hmm. but this is the best thing he's ever done because he has oh, someone yeah. like Fincher shaping it and like making it what it was like that. It's so, so much more pure, I think. And knows I, things about the script that Sorkin doesn't seem to know himself. Yeah. I completely yeah. Agree. It's like you need someone around to go, no. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the inherent flaw of, Sorkin, like, yeah, he gets a lot of shit, and rightfully so, for sort of being like this neoliberal kind of centrist hack. I, I, I don't, yeah, his his worldview skews liberal, but I think ultimately he writes apolitically, and that's why he can humanize 
uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, um, the Robert Schultz or whatever his name was, uh, the Republican like government watchdog who he kind of sanitizes into this like uh, nonpartisan hero of Trial of the uh, Chicago Seven. Same with with um, with Zuckerberg here. It's like he doesn't see uh, a nefarious, petty grievance oriented political project that Zuckerberg is building in his dorm. It's, he's just a noble but flawed man. And that's why he's attracted to him. He, he can't deracinate any sort of political ideology, ideology from the man. When I think David Fincher comes in and says, like, as Dom said, like he can sort of foresee like, no, this mm-hmm. is going to have much more uh, uh, nefarious um, political implications other than just uh, parasocial uh, implications and i don't think sorkin for all his strong writing and snappy witty dialogue and rhythmic dialogue uh yeah you, you need a david fincher to be like let me draw you back in and, and keep your eye on the prize here and yet yeah, it's even, oh, right. and yet even with reviews you don't see that even being talked about like we look at this movie as a warning and it should be and it was a prophecy that came true. And I think Fincher was looking at it that way too. But you look at reviews for the movie and, and it hitting, you know, best movie of the millennium and all this other stuff, like, it, you know, or best movie of the decade, I'm sorry. Like they're looking at it like, you know, this is making every tech, techie go grab a laptop and start their own empire. Yeah, yeah, it's making yeah. everyone, it's empowering you to just do. And, and then if like- If you don't write King Lear during the quarantine, you fucked up. Yeah, like it, it's like, it, it, this is the messaging for this movie you know, created probably way more as Zuckerberg's who created startups that probably ruined people's lives yeah, and probably like, like made people broke and bankrupt people. And, and like, this is not the, I didn't look at this movie when I watched it this week and say, yeah, this is a movie that would inspire me. It's like, this is a movie that makes me want to be a better person. So I don't become like that. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. That. Yeah. This, the, I, I did go back and read a couple of reviews from 2010 and like sort of Oscar write-ups before, you know, all the nominations came out. And it is just that it's like almost the same sort of cult of productivity that Silicon Valley, um, uh, you know, espouses like a bo- very bootstrapsy, very, um, uh, like go get, a, what, what's it? Um, fuck. I'm, 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 dr- I'm bl- drinking, uh, blanking on the term here. It's, um, this, it's almost like a, a cult of a self-empowerment where it's like these guys just like, you know, really worked hard in their dorm and created this like very egalitarian thing. I'm like, Eric, this is literally the, this is like the uh, like uh, Instagram millionaires memes that yeah. we send each other. Like, literally. Yeah. My, my, my discover page has been poisoned by stuff. That's like, you know, just like a deep fried drawing of a tired guy. And it's like, Get out of bed at 4.30 a.m. every day. Why? Like 10 times more likely to be a millionaire by 40. More, more head steam for the day. Eat breakfast before everyone else. Like finally some time to yourself. And like every single thing on my Instagram feed is just like faux intellectual, unproven, fake smart, like work ethic stuff. And yeah. that all comes from this movie. Yeah. Without realizing like the, the main seed of that is have parents rich enough that will send you to Harvard. Yeah. Um, or know people who yeah. like Zuckerberg's ultimate thing is like, I think that's actually what is pretty brilliant about the movie is that Zuckerberg himself is actually much less privileged. He's very happy to leech off of the privileged because he thinks he's doing something good. Like uh, the Winklevi and even Eduardo, who seems to be at least based on the movie that I accept as reality uh, is a much nicer. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about He's that. a much nicer person in the movie than Mark, even though he's a more privileged guy. He's also not a straight up white person. 
which may or may not be relevant. But Sean Parker and I mean, Sean Parker for being broke is more privileged in terms of like uh, kind of zeitgeisty genius uh, than Zuckerberg kind of appears to be, or is in a way that Zuckerberg needs to be led along by by Parker. Well, I think uh, I, not to cut you off. No, no. There, I want you to continue because you're on a roll. But the, the Parker thing is, I think that exposes something that we don't talk about enough now that it's like none of these people make money. They just shuffle money around. So him being broke, yet still going to these $5,000 dinners and uh, buying out sections at VIP. It's like the Silicon Valley bubble is just like an illusion of credit being sort mm-hmm. of passed around. So where you can tank three fucking startups in a row and you're still not run out of town like much as sean parker is that yeah. it is a it is like a potemkin village of broke people shuffling billions of other people's dollars around yeah and and i think the way that the movie deals with with privilege um is really weird and not really weird but it's very telling because it's like it's it's weird how they he he wrote Zuck to not be a character but still be a character. It's like he seems to be like the most disaffected person in the whole movie. But he actually, you know, through certain moments, he is affected by a lot of things. Like you look at what he was doing when the guy was doing the zip line, and it's it's like he's doing these things because he's trying to like feel something or he's trying to like gain uh, an appreciation for something within his own life. And I think it's really interesting how he how he is as a villain because it's like yes, we know that Sean Parker is a villain. He's, he's, you know, blatantly portrayed as such because we can't trust him. We know that he's, he's tanked so many other companies before. Um, and, and we know that he's really shifty and he likes really young girls, which is a, something that I don't think people talk about enough. And I think that he should probably be really pissed off about. But, um, but you know, Zuck is very much kind of like the, and I don't know if Venture meant for it to be that way, but he was, he's kind of like the, the weird, like, almost like what, what Jesse plays Lex Luthor as in Batman v Superman. It's like, he's very much a, a, uh, a conflicted, but very much in your face at the same time villain where it's like, Hey, I'm literally going to fuck these people over, but I'm going to find really cool ways to kind of uh, commit subterfuge and, and, and sabotage everything around me, including my own life. It's, it's very interesting and, and, and fantastic how he's written in the movie to be in my opinion, like one of the biggest villains you've ever seen in any type of movie like this. It's just wild. But he's supposed to be, I think he's written to be a tragic villain because throughout the movie, the bad decisions he's making early in the flashbacks from the court case, yeah. in those moments, he doesn't like, I, I, like you, the, he's positioned to be sympathetic in some way. Even though, you know, he's a piece of shit. It's like, you're supposed to sort of feel for like these like lonely guys that like can't connect to people and whatever. You're supposed to feel bad for nerds, even though we're living in a world where the nerds won and that was a mistake, right? And by the, like, I think the movie's supposed to make you feel that by the end of the movie, a lot of this comes from the juxtaposition between the actual flashbacks and the multiple court cases. Like the first cut from the, the creation of Facebook to he is in a lawsuit over this with his best friend. Like that cut in the movie says so much of like, just so you know, this stuff is going to turn into this yeah. and it might even turn to worse <laughs> things. And I think people don't like catch that. Like the, that last thing in the movie, him refreshing the fucking friend request or whatever Sad. is literally like, if you do this, you will be, this is you. You'll have no fucking friends. The only friend you have. We're, is we're living that refresh moment right now. Like we, yeah. what the world <laughs> is now. Everyone yeah, and, is doing this. And it's supposed to be like a fucked up thing. But I think because of the fact that just from a, a structural standpoint, how the story is told, there are so many other rich people in this movie. And I think even people that want to be rich also secretly hate rich people when they're not rich. Seeing this guy get over on the Winklevi and get over on like his rich friend and get over on like the, all the Harvard establishment people 
is fun. Even though you know that the way he's doing it is bad and that the results are going to be bad, that he's going to regret it maybe at night. I don't know. Probably not. Knowing that throughout the story, it makes you kind of root for him. And yeah. it's weird to me that like so many Fincher movies that make really great points are misinterpreted by such large amounts of people. Like Fight Club is like this. So Social Network is like this. I feel like Gone Girl is a movie like this. People mm-hmm. like want to be Amy Dunn, which I think is a little bit weird. Yeah. That's like what you take away from that movie, you know? And <laughs> it's interesting to me that like this guy, I think it's probably because of aesthetics. You know what I mean? I think his actual style is so pristine and it's so mannered and it comes from commercials. It comes from music videos that even when he's trying to show you something fucked up that you should obviously know is fucked up, regular people are used to seeing this kind of imagery to sell you fucking cars and ice cream that they just go, oh, this is probably good. This isn't a cautionary tale. This is cool. I want to be the guy that makes something in my, in my door room. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is now what Facebook is. It is a dystopic <laughs> to sell you, dystopian model to sell you stuff. Uh, they are selling attention and clicks. And, and news. I mean, I, that's the craziest thing is like they talk about the, this algorithm the whole time. And I think from, like many other people, uh, this movie was the first time I heard the word algorithm. Uh, and do I know what one is? Kind of. Uh, but uh, the, I, the craziest thing is like it, it, you see him, you know, when I, I love the shot uh, when it, go, it cuts from the interior to the exterior of when he's drawing it on the door or on the window. And th- that algorithm is what is valuable. And like fast forward to now. And the reason that TikTok is so highly valued isn't because, I mean, it is because of how many users it has, but it's because the TikTok has the most aggressively data combing algorithm that has ever existed. Like if Facebook uh, is bobbing for apples in the barrel of your personality, uh, TikTok is doing like a deep scrape of the scum on the very bottom of it. Yeah, all uh, and the, it's, All the barnacles. Yeah, it's crazy that like that still, that thing that Zuckerberg wanted, the equation is still the most literally valuable thing. Yeah. And, Let, and sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, finish your thought. I was going to say, I, I, you might begin into this, how like our perception of watching that in 2010 versus the reality of watching it now, I'm less harsh on Sorkin because no one could have predicted really. I mean, people did have the foresight to see like this. This is a, bad. This is a canary in a coal mine for, yeah, like the weaponization of data and privacy and surveillance will and and and, and and radicalization uh that was coming down the pike i don't think anyone could have known the volume and uh horrifying intensity of it so i'm a little less nitpicky about him um sort of writing zuckerberg as this sort of flawed but sympathetic guy because mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's also not the real per it is a movie also it's yeah. not it's, it's not the guy yeah he does that he will always do that he will find a sort of like yeah, a blank, uh, tabula rasa and, and sort of uh, let us project onto him. So I like, like Sorkin's dumb Steve Jobs script. I, I do too. I think it's like, we talk great. About it. I think I, it's so good. Yeah. Such a good script. And Danny Boyle directed the shit out of it. Uh, but I will give him shit for like making Zuck like this hyper articulate kind of witty like uh clapback king when yeah, like he has great clapbacks in the movie too. You, and that, that's a testament to Eisenberg, but like. Mm-hmm. You watch, you watch the real Zuck in these Senate hearings where he's getting grilled. He's just like a melting lizard person. Like he is, there's nothing going on behind those eyes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, speaking of Zuck and, and Senate hearings and stuff like that, like let's talk about the accuracy of the movie. Um, pretty much everyone has come out and said 
this is really not how it went. Um, <laughs> Zuckerberg himself saying, you know, like the only thing that they got right were the clothes that I was wearing. Uh, I think the only person that's kind of like kind of split even on it is like Eduardo. He's like, mm-hmm. hey, I mean, you should have known this movie was going to be like this. Um, but like, what do you guys feel about actually the way that it's portrayed, um, you know, on the movie versus what people are saying it is true or not? Like, do you think that there are elements that might be factual? Because I mean, even... Um, What's, what's the other, uh, Dustin even said, like, I've never met the Winklevosses in my life. <laughs> like, like, yeah. it was, like it's, it's stuff like that. But it's like, I mean, obviously there are things that were done to kind of big up the, the, dr- the, the drama factor. Yeah, there's like, a, there's natural dramatization because it's a movie. But uh, I, I, I'm not too, I'm not too convinced that the, the Zuck that we see other than the articulate, you know, comments that he has in the movie, but I'm not too sure that the guy on the movie isn't too far from what we see on C-SPAN every other month yeah. talking about Facebook. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, okay, maybe this stuff didn't happen on the exact timeline or anything, but as far as like portraying the accuracy of like, what's essentially like rampant douchebags, uh, like douchebags gone wild. Uh, I think I, it see, it feels accurate to me. I mean, why would the, why the fuck, if you're Zuckerberg, why would you confess to any of this being true? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the it, difference between being like emotionally accurate and like, historically like detailed accurate like it's a movie it's not going to be accurate you know what i mean like in in any but it feels right it it captures like like the the essence of this stuff i think yeah Mm -hmm. and it 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 really taps into the reality of how facebook is now being weaponized by white grievance culture and white white grievance when this was built by a white grieving little white guy and like you know that those uh historical illusions are still very real and true but yeah i'm less concerned about the artistic liberties that uh fincher and and sorkin might have taken because like it's not like a war where like you know the there's like uh empirical data and proof about like uh, where bullets were fired and what happened (laughs) yeah yeah i mean this is like people talking in a room the whole time so yeah we're gonna we're gonna you know take some some creative liberties there, but did a bird just hit into your window? I think, was so. It, I think so. Hang on. I think so. Pat's been writing uh, algorithms on his window and a bird just crashed into it. That's scary. <laughs> uh, at, while, while Pat checks that. Um, That's some fucking uh, hereditary shit. One thing that, that did strike me as well was, um, was Zuckerberg saying in an interview that he was very upset, not at the movie, um, but at the fact that they made a movie while he was still alive. Who was? Zuck? Yeah, Zuckerberg said this. Okay. I, let me, I know I just sat back down. Let me bitch about this for two seconds really quick. <laughs> I, here's why I don't care whether, like, like we've said, whether I'd rather it be emotionally accurate, emotionally accurate than historically accurate. Because uh, I probably have said this before on this podcast, because when things are historically accurate, usually they're made at the end of somebody's life or right after they've died or something. So you either get, um, you either get like straight out of Compton where they turn themselves into the Avengers and it's historically <laughs> inaccurate. They all, they all need to get off like their own, like, uh, like you d- yeah, you did that this night. And then like, well, you were doing that like this, this, and I did that. Like, so, you know, you either get that or you get, um, just to use another uh, rap biopic as an example, the, the reason that I actually hate, almost all biopics now which is because it's like uh notorious 2009 came out right around the same time as this movie actually i think a year before or after whatever um because it's produced by biggie's mom and puffy 
the the last not only is it historically inaccurate but the the you know the night before he gets shot he calls and apologizes to his mom for all the stuff he's done wrong and how he's going to change his life and like be a better person now and then he dies the next day and almost every biopic good or bad has some version of that really shitty scene in it uh and it's just why i tend to not like them and so i think that it, you know, it was, why would Zuckerberg want a movie like this made after he was dead so his estate could have complete control over it instead of it being a statement on the zeitgeist, like from two auteurs? Yeah, I think that's why he said that is because of that, I mean, for that very reason, but also because this movie, and it leads more credence to me thinking that this movie hit a little bit more close to home than he thinks. Yeah. Or than there, or not he thinks that, that he's willing to admit to. And we know this guy is someone who cannot admit to anything at all. You know, that Facebook has done anything at all. I mean, literally, right before we got into this uh, the, this recording, I sent news that Zuckerberg told his staff that, you know, Steve Bannon hadn't, hadn't violated enough policies to be suspended from Facebook. A week after he said that two people should be beheaded and their heads hung on the gates of the White House. It's, it's really, you know, yeah, how does... How, how is Jack Dorsey person- more progressive than you are? Like, he, yeah, looks, he looks like an incubus caveman. And he's now more progressive than Zuckerberg. It's, it's wild because, and, and you expect me to believe that the guy that I saw in this movie who really did take half measures and was petty enough to say, you know, wh- I, I just believe it because he would be petty enough to string the, the federal government along in the same way that he, that he strung along Howard Eduardo. And, and, yeah, and, and everyone else. Like, this is a guy that just would do that. It's just what I think. Like, and nothing about what Facebook has done in the 10 years since this movie has come out has made me not believe that everything has happened here. <laughs> and, I ta- and I'm sorry, you're not supposed to do this. I take this movie as 100% fact because I believe that is who Mark Zuckerberg is. I do, so I I do that, too. I, I say that to say, fuck Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's just like the wanton failures of libertarianism and, and the myth of free speech uh, has led us to this point. This, the PC culture uh, canard, which is really just persecution complex, not fucking political correctness. All these non- No one has been canceled. The only three people who actually got canceled were Weinstein, Louis, and Roseanne. Show me another person who seriously has been canceled. Louis, Louis Point again. Yeah. Louis all you have to do is start going to red states. Yeah, nobody is nobody is ever held accountable. But like Facebook is the motto for that, where it's you if you complain about hate speech or any sort of sinister uh, targeted harassment dedicated towards minority groups or uh, yeah, ethnic minorities or women or anything or any a political minority, you get uh, you're the one who gets harangued and harassed, and and you're 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 the one that's you know, actually victimizing people. So what's the end product of that? Ben Shapiro, Prager, uh, TPAP, U- USA, or Charlie Kirk or whatever. These are the most viewed things on Facebook. They get more engagement than Trump. They get more engagement than Biden. We haven't really reckoned with this. And it's, it's, it's privileged grievance. Yeah, it is. Like, the reason that Ben Shapiro was such a loser is because he grew up with a dad who was like, hey, like all the like classical shit, like playing violin and like wearing a suit and like being doing business like that's the important stuff and so like that's why ben shapiro sees people enjoying the wap video and he's like mm, excuse me this isn't beethoven we may not like it and like that so like he's a, he he's just it's it has gone from it's by privileged grievance for it now yeah it's the euro of grievance culture also 
I gotta say, just uh, re Justin's cap on uh, uh, the accepting it as gospel is I think just to briefly uh, get a little sappy, I think also that's a testament to really to the power of making a culturally indelible film is that like, Oh, Zuckerberg, like you don't like the way you fucked up culture being portrayed like this. Uh, Well, guess what? Uh, You still did a really fucked up thing. And now everyone's going to think this is the the way it happened. So there's something poetic about that to me. Totally. So, uh, So, are we keeping this one <laughs> in our collections? Uh, I, I think it's safe to say that we all will. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I truly think it's one of the, not even just one of the most well-made films of the decade, but like a, a cultural monument. And not even just for like what Facebook has become and the, the, the crumbling of democracy in front of our eyes. But like, it is like a, the perfect, to quote Dom, like pop prestige movie. Uh, that I that I like I will go off like if someone asks me what that movie is I always say Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> <Social> <laughs> <Network>. <laughs> I, I wish he hadn't made Benjamin Button between this and Zodiac because otherwise it would seen, be like the greatest one-two punch in in cinema history. I haven't seen Button, but um, it's goofy, man. I just want to see Pitt as the his, baby. His voice is is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, that is that, that'll close the book on David Fincher. I feel like we have a, a, another episode about him in the tuck one day uh, down the road, but he's, I mean, he's a late fees favorite here. I, I yeah. love Fincher. Everybody else loves Fincher. Uh, but one thing we also do love is James Bond. If we come back with you in two weeks, we're going to be talking everything James Bond from start to finish, how ridiculous these damn movies are. I cannot wait. This is going to be a funny and cathartic episode for everybody is <laughs> coming at the right time, right for the end of the year after all of this stressful stuff is over with. So uh, in two weeks, kick back and enjoy our uh, James Bond, the 007 watch and watch along with us as well. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you want to subscribe, make sure you hit us up at RNC watch uh, and make sure you follow us at RNC radio live on Twitter. So for Eric, Pat and Dom, I am Justin signing off one more time. Here goes the air horn. <laughs>